So uh, just, just to explain, uh, that this week we were going to actually focus, I was going to have Jude's sister here, who is, is uh, involved with the police, and, uh, and next week we were going to focus on mental health, but I, I think Jude's sister was a little worried that I was going to ask her what she thinks about the Home Secretary, and uh, so she's not been able to be here this morning. Go figure. And, uh, but, but, so what we're going to do is we're going to focus a little bit on, on mental health. And uh, it, it's really uh, exciting the way that this church has key people and individuals who, who influence mental health. I, I went for a coffee in McDonald's just before I came to church and Kathleen Forbes was there. And uh, Kathleen works in this kind of sector as well. And she was telling me she's doing a presentation to one of the cabinet ministers on, uh, uh, during the week. And she was just rehearsing her speech. And, and it was just great to see Christians coming to church, getting ready for the weekend. And June does loads as well. So, so tell us a wee bit, what are you doing this time tomorrow? Okay, morning church. Yep, um, you've got the substitute. I think the better of the sisters. But that's, um, she, she well, we're going to have you next week, anyway. She may say otherwise. Yeah, so I'm Jude, and tomorrow morning I'll be getting up to go to work with this, um, a newly named organisation just as of last week, the Scottish Action for Mental Health. So we were for 100 years known as the Scottish Association for Mental Health. We have been celebrating being there for Scotland's mental health for 100 years this year, so it's been a very significant time in an organisation, but as of last week, we changed our name with the, the word action, because it was a real um, desire for us to show our intent that we still need to take so much action to make the changes that we know that we need to support our individuals and our communities impacted by mental health, because I think we can all um, relate and we all see the impact of that in our day-to-day -day life. So as an organisation, it's about what actions we need to take in the next 100 years um, to continue to make a difference. Wow. So, so what sort of things do you find yourself encountering and dealing with? And Yeah, so my role this year in particular has been about that 100 years, about telling our history. And interestingly, our founder, way back, Dr. Kate Fraser, came from a Baptist church, Coates Memorial in Paisley. Um, so you think about um, sometimes where God places you and you might not realise at the time that you're in that place of work, the impact you might have. And I'm sure Dr. Kate Fraser when she started out trying to make a difference to the lives of others, didn't realise 100 years on our organisation would be continuing to this day. But my role has been about bringing people together across um, different sectors, so the business community and looking at how we support mental health in the workplace. Um, we've been bringing people together. Just as of two weeks ago, we were, had a, a moment with Hamza Youssef, the First Minister, where we had young people in a room in a roundtable discussion with their views and their um, the impact of mental health in their life and being able to have that dialogue and conversation with our First Minister to challenge our government around about what other things that they need to be doing to ensure that our systems begin to address and change and shift in the way that we know that they need to, to again, to help others that are facing barriers or, or impacted um, day to day with their mental health. So, yeah, so from, so, and then we had a dinner last week, so a real celebratory moment. So, yeah, so different spaces, but it's making sure, I guess, for my point of view, that that lived experience voice is at the heart of what we do, that we listen, that we, we learn, and that we use that to inform decisions, and can we influence, and can we campaign, and can we challenge stigma and discrimination that's, that exists around that, but our organisation's values are hope and choice, so you can see why I, I can absolutely resonate with that in relation mm -hmm. to my faith, because our faith gives us hope um, when we've got a choice there. So well, that, that's what I was going to ask you, obviously you're a committed Christian in this really important area, and uh, how does your faith affect you in relation to this and and what are the challenges that you think christians face in this kind of area well yeah 
I think just being a Christian in any workplace now is challenging because we're in a world that's so so different and fastly changing and views and opinions and and um, but I guess for me it's about trying to always put myself in that situation what would Jesus do and I think it's about how we respond to our ever-changing world and our complex world that we live in and our very broken world that we live in and actually how would Jesus respond in that situation so it's about not relying on me because if I relied on me we would be I wouldn't, we would, I wouldn't be able to accomplish or, or, or do what it is but it's actually very much put my trust in him daily and the small details as well as the big things in life but and allowing him um to, to work through me to then respond in a way that that he would, um, I guess I'm a light in that world that he's asked me to be in. So I guess it's relying on him solely to, to make sure that when I do have an opportunity to respond, I can. I think the conversations are harder sometimes to have. Um, but I guess for me, it's, it's trying to, when a situation arises, when it's about a religi religion, I can try and go back to what, actually it's not religion, it's about a faith and our loving God. So it's trying to just find small windows. Um, but a lot of the time it's about how we respond and my actions that can can cause people to ask more about you, you responded differently there what what was that um and i can obviously then share at that point but yeah i guess it's just making sure that we constantly rely on him <laughs> and because my human feelings <laughs> yeah. um, are, are very uh, there's loads of them so um but he <laughs> um he's much more able than i am and he's faithful and um you know he's used um my parents mightily and he's used, used my sister but i actually am now realizing he can use me in my day-to-day -day and the, the work that he's called me to do brilliant thank you jude that's really good <laughs> and do remember catherine in in her presentation this week as well uh, again in government it's it's exciting to see the influence that we have and uh, and I, you'll know if you've been coming along, we're talking about whole life discipleship and, and witnessing to the reality of Christ out with our Sunday services. So wherever we go to work, where you will be this time tomorrow, and it may be that you're looking after grandchildren or children, it might be that you're doing presentations to government ministers. But actually, you're a Christian in that context. And what does that mean? And uh, you'll probably have seen, have we got, uh, can we go to the diagram? Uh, the, you, you've probably seen the diagram where, you know, in a Sunday service, we come together and we encourage one another and, and hopefully we inspire one another to make that difference. But then we, but as a, as a gathered community, we aren't that big an influence in our society. But did you see on Monday morning when we go and spread out? And, and if you think of every one of those dots impacting the dots round about them, suddenly you see the influence that we can be in our communities, in our nation, and, and how as Christians we can begin to make an impact. I suppose, though, as we do a series like this, and, and as we come to a day like today, Remembrance Sunday, you sort of struggle with the, 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 the aspiration of making that difference and the reality. I was sorely tempted to do a sermon on Isaiah 59. You'll be glad to know I haven't. Uh, because I thought I could do this as a political commentary on the world in which we live nowadays and uh, as, as an indictment of what we see in our world. Because the reality is that our world is incredibly broken. 
And, and the reality is that where we've aspired to make difference, often that difference hasn't occurred. And, and, and when you do that, it's very difficult to, to kind of say, what's the point? What's the difference that we make? You know, we, we, we saw 300,000 people in London protesting yesterday, and, and um, yet the hospitals in Gaza are still denied fuel, and children are dying, and babies are dying in incubators, despite the 300,000. And you say, what difference does it really make? Does it really matter? It just becomes an issue of delegitimizing in our own countries and conflicts and tensions within our own nation. And you think, what's the point? And as Christians, we deal with this. And, and maybe it's not as big an issue as engaging with issues of justice within our world. Maybe it's to do with just your life in general. You know, you come to church Sunday by Sunday, but you then go to work on Monday morning and you've still got a lousy boss, or you're still understaffed, or you're not resourced properly, or things don't change in the way that you aspire to them changing. And you say, what's the point? You know, I may as well just collect my paycheck at the end of the month and then go off and play golf and not think about it the rest of the time. And I suppose for those that are able, that's a great temptation. But you know, as Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be that thing that brings transformation where we are. And in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about this. And then in Matthew 6, he goes on to talk about prayer. And the two are connected. Because when we find ourselves in a situation where we feel we're not making a difference, we cry out to God in prayer. You see, those situations where we find ourselves confronting those obstacles and those immovable things that just seem so overwhelming in our life, they should drive us to prayer. And, and, and in our work context, and, and believe it or not, if you're understaffed at work or you're stressed at work or you're overworked, that is a subject for prayer. You know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I won't ask how many of us have prayed about the desperate lack of, uh, of doctors and nurses in our country this week. Or how many of you have prayed about the lack of police on our streets this week in Scotland? Again, shame Cat wasn't here. But how many of us have done that? Well, no, that's not really what we do as Christians. But the message is that is what we do as Christians. And as Christians, our witness and our impact on society is birthed out of prayer. And, and it's essential that we understand that while we ourselves sometimes, and it's sometimes not, uh, we're not deluded, when we think it, we can't make the difference. The reality is that God can. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we're invited to engage with an understanding of who we are in relation to God so that we can go out and make the difference in the world. And that, that's what the Lord's Prayer is doing. It's got a very simple structure. It's got three petitions that relate to God and his agenda, 
and then four petitions that relate to us and our kind of needs. And I just want to quickly look through these. First of all, we pray concerning the establishment of our identity as sons and daughters. We pray our Father. And, and, and everything comes from this. Our Father. We have a relationship with God. And it says, our Father who is in heaven. Someone, I can't remember who it was this week, but they were asking me about the third heaven. And uh, we were talking about heavens, different heavens. But, but the idea of heaven here, I, I used to think that was God's address. So uh, if we're making prayers, well, we have to send it to the right address so it arrives. So heaven is obviously God's address, and that's where we send it to. And, and it gives you this sense of God remote and removed. He might be our father, but he's kind of a distant father. But actually, that our father who is in heaven, the idea of heaven is, is not his postal address or his distance. It's the idea that, uh, related to the ancient world, that what happened in the heavens impacted what happened here on earth. And this isn't just an ancient thought. It's, it's in every newspaper that carries astrology because it's the same principle. What happened in the heavens impacts what happens in earth. And what the, the New Testament is saying, it's not the stars that controls your destiny, it's God. God controls your destiny, and by the way, he's your father. <laughs> and, and so we remind ourselves that the God who is in control is our father. He's my dad. I, uh, I once uh, was uh, on a mission team in Amsterdam, and a bunch of people came over from Oral Roberts University in America. And uh, it was a very well-to-do university. And one of the students that came over to join our team, uh, he, his plane was going to take off without him because he was running late for it. And he phoned his dad, I won't tell you whose dad was, and his dad managed to hold the plane until he got on it. I was like, wow. <laughs> but that's nothing compared with our God. And, and we remind, and we have to remind ourselves of this, that our identity is as children of the creator God, the God of the universe, the God who is in heaven and controls things. And, and that identity has to be our main anchor in the storms, in, in the keys that unlock our prisons, in the truth that brings us the greatest joy. It has to be. And, and the danger is when we find ourselves in those positions where we feel powerless, where we feel like victims, where we feel like we can't do anything to make it different, we need to come back and remember our identity, our Father who art in heaven. Then it goes on to say, hallowed be your name. There's a praying for our part in God's agenda. In, in if you, I, I think the phrase that was used by the notes I was looking at, it was saying, how we get involved in the family business? How we get involved in God's mission in the world? And, and, and that's what this is saying, hallowed be your name. 
what one of the, the greatest dangers and as we look at war and as we reflect on war is that throughout history nations have believed that God is on our side and some of you who are older will remember Bob Dylan wrote a song called God on our side which was about American perceptions that the blanket bombing of Vietnam with napalm was somehow God was working through them as they did that. And nations that believe God is on their side is one of the most dangerous ideologies that you will see throughout war and, and actually perpetrated atrocity after atrocity throughout the history even of the last hundred years. Hallowed be your name counters that kind of thinking because it says we are not aligning ourselves with our agenda we are aligning ourselves with God's cause and his way of doing things so we glorify him where we say we are about serving God God is not about serving us and it forces us to reflect on the consequences of what we do I mean, again, can't be political on Remembrance Sunday. When can you be political? But, I mean, I remember the protests in relation to the Iraqi war. Now, almost a million people gathered in London to tell our government not to do it. They didn't listen. They chose not to listen. And 20 years later, we saw the scenes while I, I toured Iraq and I saw the consequences of our foreign policy decisions. Many of us saw the consequences in Afghanistan as we saw a chaotic retreat from that nation just over a year ago. And the consequences for the people. And, and the fact is, and the, this is the truth, that our foreign policy, and again, maybe in the future they'll reflect on this, but our foreign policy, we have aligned ourselves with some of the most murderous regimes in the history of the 21st century. Britain has. Because we're always the good guys, aren't we? And, and, and when we begin to think like that, that's always a very, very dangerous way to think. And as Christians, I think we have to reflect on this and call for God's agenda. What does God's agenda look like? Well, it's a global agenda. It's redemptive and it's liberating. And, and so when we say, hallowed be your name, we call for that kind of agenda to be worked out. And I'll tell you, it costs to pursue that agenda. It, it doesn't come painlessly when we pray, hallowed be your name. And, and sometimes in a work context, it's tough. I, I remember talking to someone down south who worked for uh, an international bank, um, in, in, uh, in Asia. And uh, there were things that were going on that just were well, verging on the illegal. Maybe they were illegal. And he was a Christian. And, and, and he was being invited to turn a blind, eye, uh, a blind eye to these things. And, and they were big things. And, and he had this dilemma. And he came to me to chat. I had no idea. He had a mortgage to pay. He had all these things. And he's saying, what do I do here? What do I do? Am I just quiet? 
do I ignore it? Do I just keep my head down and pay my mortgage? Or do I jeopardize my family's security and their comfort and where they are? Hallowed be thy name. It's a very powerful prayer. Third thing, your kingdom come. This is a, we, so we pray for our identity. We pray for our power in God's work. And then we pray for regime change. We pray for a change in the world's values. As I say, Isaiah 59 could be a political commentary on contemporary world and often what we see. And it could be. I, I, I don't know if you noticed it got very quiet as we read those verses. <laughs> we begin to reflect. And you know, as Christians, we are called to call for regime change. We're called to say, this is not the world that God intends. It, it's one of the brilliant things about being a Christian. See, our proposition, one of our fundamental propositions, is this world is not the way God intends it to be. God intends it to be different. If you're not a Christian, you can't say that. You just got to say, whatever will be, will be. The world is what it is, because that's what the world is. But as a Christian, we can stand and we can look at a broken world, and we can declare, this is not the world that God intends. And we can become a militant voice calling for regime change, calling that God's will should be done here and now. You know, and, and it says, your kingdom come. It, it, it's, it's not tomorrow. Your will should be done on earth as it is in heaven today. We want to see that kingdom established. We want to see God's will worked out in the brokenness of our world. Again, it takes us to an uncomfortable place, a place of challenge. After praying in relation to God's agenda, then the prayer turns to, to deal with the things that we have to deal with. Jesus then says, pray, give us our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting that there's a kind of twofold emphasis on this. Give us today. You know that in, my, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus very much emphasizes, don't worry about the future too much. Don't live in the future. Live in the present. What, what Jesus is saying is, deal with today. Uh, I, I was out at uh, a, a friend's house on Friday night, and uh, there, there was a group of people there, and they were kind of just talking about life and things like that. And a doctor said, and Maybe it's because I'm getting a bit older. It kind of impacted me. But he said, you're here until you're not. And I thought, that's, that's an interesting thing to say. You're here until you're not. And, and, and what he was saying was, you know, worrying about the future, worrying about all that can happen, worrying about what tomorrow will bring is not actually where it's at. It's about today. And, and Jesus says, pray, give us today. And, and what he means by that is when you get up tomorrow morning to go to work or to look after your children or grandchildren or do whatever it is or support an elderly relative or do whatever it is that you do and where you make that influence, it's like, Lord, give me today. 
and let this be the best day that I've ever lived. <laughs> you know, let today be. And I know I've got stresses and I've probably got bills I am paying. My kids are a nightmare and uh, life is not easy. And you should see the guys I work with. That's just illustrative. I hope you realize. And, uh, but, but you pray, God, give me today. Let this day be a day where I maximize. And give me that daily bread. And what was the idea of bread is, God, give me the resource. He has a resource for that to happen. One of, again, the brilliant thing about being a Christian is that we have a supernatural resource there. And, and that we can draw down on that resource. I, I was talking to a student last night, and uh, they were telling me they had exams. And uh, I can remember when I used to do exams, and uh, it was usually the time that you wanted to draw down in that supernatural resource, where you would go into the exam hall and kind of quickly do the prayer. God, I know I should have done more revision and focused more on my work as a student, but Lord, please forgive me and help me get through this exam and pass. You ever prayed those prayers? Was that just me? Yeah. Um, but but and, and suddenly we get focused on, oh, I need a, I need a bit of help here, God. <laughs> But actually, that should be the daily experience, just like Jude was sharing. You know, that daily experience of recognizing we need God to help us to maximize each day for what it is. Jesus then goes on and says, forgive us our debts. Oh, there, there's a, a, a very important principle here that as we start, and again, some people believe that the Lord's Prayer was designed to be prayed daily, probably is because of that petition, give us our day. But here we have a petition, Lord, forgive us our debts. Lord, help us not to be encumbered by the past. And, and, and the, the, there's an importance I was thinking, uh, before I came out, there was a discussion about remembrance and, and about whether it's good always to remember. And I, I, as I listened to it, I came to the conclusion that there's good remembering and bad remembering. And it's good that we remember those who sacrificed their lives, who actually paid what we talk of the ultimate price in defending some of the values and things that we believe in. And it's good that we remember these things, and it's right. And it's right that we remember our forefathers, and it's right that we remember certain things that they stood for. But sometimes there's a bad remembrance. There's a remembrance that constantly reiterates the past, that never lets go of the past, that, that hangs on to the past. One of the, the tragedies of the last few weeks has been the, the, the scenes that we've seen in Gaza where a million people have just been displaced from northern Gaza. And you've seen it on your TVs. And, and people have commented on how it echoes 1948 when almost the same number of people were displaced from uh, the coastal plain in what was then Palestine. Almost a million people, and they were told, lock your doors, and if you ever go to, to Israel, you'll see these keys around. These were the keys of the doors. That they were told, lock your doors, 
And you can come back in three and four weeks. 70 years later, their descendants are living in refugee camps. And if you go to those refugee camps, they're constantly remembering, hanging on to the heart, to the past. And that becomes a seedbed of all kinds of extremism that we've seen the expression of. Tragically, internationally, we fail to resolve the issue. But what's the issue? It's the remembering and the inability to let go of the past to move into a new future. And when we fail to do that, oftentimes it causes brokenness. And again, maybe we see it internationally, but you'll see it in your own individual life. You know, when a member of your family offended you, and yes, they did wrong to you, and yes, they hurt you, and yes, what they did was never right, but you can't let it go. And it starts to define you and starts to influence you, and inevitably it turns into breaking of relationships. Families break down. Heart starts to occur, and further heart starts to occur. Because we hang on to, and we remember, and we can't let it go. And so Jesus says, learn to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. Learn to pray, Lord, when I get hurt, don't let me remember those things and live on that past. Help me to release it and to build a new thing. Jesus then says, lead us not into temptation. This is probably the most understood, misunderstood of the petitions because of the word temptation. I always think of Oscar Wilde uh, when I see that word temptation, because Oscar Wilde said, I can resist everything but temptation. And, uh, and immediately that's what we think. We think, oh, that's, it's, it's, it's about being lured into sin. And, uh, and, and then we kind of have a theological moment because we think, how can God lure us into sin? This is a weird thing. God, please don't lure me into sin. And, uh, and it isn't actually signifying that. The, the word temptation is the idea of trial or, or better still, the idea of judgment. And, and so what Jesus is saying is, Lord, don't take us to a place of judgment. That's what this petition is. Don't take us to a place of judgment. What it's saying is, Lord, show us mercy. You know, God, when we blow it, when, when actually we do make mistakes, when we fail short, Lord, don't bring us into a point of judgment. You know, for our nation, we need to be praying this, Lord, show mercy on our nation. Lord, show mercy on the brokenness of our country. Lord, don't bring us into a place of judgment. Or if we are in a place of judgment, and some would argue we are, then Lord, lift that judgment from us. Show us your mercy. And then the last petition is, deliver us from the evil one. When I used to pray this in school, it used to just be, Lord, deliver us from evil. But it actually is the evil one in the Greek. And, and what this is saying is, Lord, deliver us from those things in the world that oppose the ways of your kingdom. You see, evil, we often think of evil as a moral concept. And, and we think of it in terms of right and wrong. But again, in the Hebrew mind, evil wasn't about right and wrong. It was about the idea of destruction. And, uh, and so what it means is deliver us from the one who destroys. 
See, a lot of times people have this idea of, of Satan and his work, and we think, oh, well, that's all about deliverance. I, I, I was flicking through channels uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, The Exorcist was on, and I never actually saw it when it first came out in the 1970s. I got about 20 minutes of it and, and looked at that. But, but certainly when I was growing up in the 70s, we all used to think the evil one, the exorcist, d delivering people of these demons that would make you float on your beds and things like this, and that's what it was all about. But actually, that's not the work of the evil one. The work of the evil one is expressed in things like war. It's expressed in things like addiction. It's expressed in the things like family breakdown. It's expressed in all that which destroys and robs. And anything in our society and anything in our lives where we see the work of the destroyer and the robber at work, wherever it's taking something from us which it should not be, then you have the work of the evil one. And what Jesus is saying is, Lord, deliver us from that which destroys. Deliver us from that which tears down. Deliver us from that which brings conflict that wounds and harms. And let us be the power of your reconciliation, the power of your love, the power of your healing in a desperately broken world. See, when we pray this, as God's people, each day, it sets the agenda for your day as you go into that workplace, as you deal with whatever it is you have to deal with. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge of these words. And I pray, Lord, that as we live our daily lives, Lord, that we would truly embody these words and these values in the way that we live. Lord, in all the various situations that we face tomorrow morning and the day after and the day after that, Lord, help us to understand our identity rooted in you as our Father. Help us to pursue your agenda. Help us, Lord, to be a people who denote and express the radical nature of your kingdom. Lord, we ask for your provision in every aspect of our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen.